You're listening to The Rambling Boy on Marfa Public Radio. I'm Sally Beauvais. Today, our resident historian, Lon Taylor, is going to answer some of your West Texas Wonders questions. That's our series where you ask us whatever you want to know about the region, and we dig for answers. Well, I'm so glad that you came. I made Sally bring me with her. Nice to see you. General Manager Elise Peppel and I went to Lon's house to record this episode. And to start off, we thought we'd let you come along on a quick tour of where the Rambling Boy writes his material, the Taylor residence in Fort Davis. Well, the office is way back in the back of the house. Is that where you write Rambling Boy? It is. In your office? Yeah. You probably don't smoke, but I would imagine there's probably like a tobacco pipe on the desk and maybe a quill with an inkwell. Okay, truth be told, it's not quite that old-fashioned. You write on a what? Computer. (laughs) Take her back to the Yeah, I want to go see it. We'll be back. We'll be back. Where is it? It's this way. But it's still pretty cool. Every room in the Taylor residence is a different color, and there are framed photographs and prints all over the walls, even above the cabinets in the kitchen. Lon's wife, Dee Dee, brought us into where Lon writes his episodes. This is Lon's office. Oh, my God. Which is, this is is heavily Western-themed, yes, all that art is. How many books do you think are on the shelves in here? We have, when we moved from Washington, we had 14,000 pounds of books. And we probably now have 20,000 pounds of books because there are books in the garage. Are they, do you know if they're sorted? Lons are arranged. I don't know how he's arranged these books, but he, he can find books. Yeah. And the living room is all fiction and that's alphabetical by Arthur. The guest room is all biography and autobiography. The garage is travel. I love that the um, bookshelves are, are literally floor to ceiling. That is one way to use a wall. Yes. This is just the way Lon lives, so I periodically vacuum. Somewhere in those books lie the answers to the West Texas Wonders questions Lon will answer this episode. I sat next to him by the fire for our chat, and Lon was feeling a bit under the weather, so you'll be able to hear his oxygen machine in the background. Lon, let's get started with the first question that you're going to answer today. Linda Baronic of Marathon wants to know, what's the history of the Sierra Madera? Is it astroblem or astroblem? I've never heard anybody say that word. I think it's astrobleem. That's the way I'd pronounce it. Well, in that case, then what's the story about the Sierra Madera astrobleem signs between Fort Stockton and Marathon? Well, I don't blame uh, Linda for asking that question because I had never heard of an astrobleem or astroblem until I saw those signs myself, and I had to look it up. Uh, The signs were erected by the Texas Department of Transportation along U.S. Highway 67, where the road passes through the geological feature called the Sierra Madera Astrobleem. An astrobleem is a crater caused by the impact of a meteorite or a comet striking the Earth. An astrobleem is a somewhat esoteric word, but it derives from a Greek word meaning star wound, which I think is quite wonderful. The Sierra Madera astrobleem's outer edge forms a circular cluster of hills about six miles in diameter. The uplifted peak in the center of the crater, about 800 feet above the desert floor, is called the Sierra Madera, 
or wooded mountain. Now, geologists originally thought that the formation was an oil dome, but drilling showed there was no dome under the formation. Only the upper strata were disturbed by the impact. The geologists at UT Permian Basin estimate that that impact took place fairly recently, that is, less than a million years ago. The formation is on private property, so please don't try to explore it. There are no diamonds or precious stones in it. Noted. That's a PSA from the Rambling Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, up next, Guadalupe Espinoza of Marfa wants to know if it's true that the Indian Lodge in the Davis Mountain State Park was built on a cemetery and whether it's haunted. Well, I guess I am the expert on the Indian Lodge uh, because uh, I wrote a history of the Indian Lodge for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department in 2007. Now, I realize that no hotel can show a profit these days unless it's haunted, but I can guarantee you that the Indian Lodge was not built over a cemetery. The lodge was built on pasture land in Kesey Canyon, donated to the Texas State Parks Board in 1933 by Fort Davis rancher Jesse Merrill and his son R.K. Merrill. It was adjacent to land donated for the Davis Mountain State Park by Joe Espy, and there were no cemeteries on either of those tracts of land. There were problems involved in building the lodge, however, Construction was started by the Civilian Conservation Corps in December 1933 and proceeded in fits and starts. The plans were redrawn at least twice, and the building was not completed until March 1935, way over budget and far behind schedule. The flat roofs leaked, and it took three more years of work to get them to drain properly. Unaccountably, the architects had not included a hot water system, and until one was installed a year later, the manager told guests that there was no hot water because Indians did not take hot baths. So perhaps the ghosts that are haunting the lodge today, if indeed there are any, are those of those first visitors who've come back to see if they could get a hot bath. Today, Indian Lodge, having undergone several renovations since 1935, is considered the crown jewel of the Texas State Park System. I hope the Texas State Park System is charging those ghosts for their services. Yeah, we hope so. Thank you, Lon. Okay, next up. Josh Knight of Midland wants to know, some of the old timers in the industry talk and tell jokes about how there was a brothel set up at Hotel Settles in Big Spring. He wants to know how true those tales could be. Well, brothels are a little harder to document than buildings in state parks because at least in towns like Big Spring, they operate below the radar and they leave no documents behind. But fortunately... There is an expert on the Settles Hotel. She is Dr. Beverly Brannan, a historian with a Ph.D. from the University of South Carolina. 
and in 2015, she presented a paper at the annual conference of the West Texas Historical Association entitled, A Grand Dom Shines Again, Big Springs Hotel Settles During 85 Years of Boom and Bust. Dr. Brennan begins her paper by telling how the luxury 15-story hotel was built by an elderly ranching couple, W.R. and Lily Settles, in 1929, as a way to invest the oil money that had come to them when six producing wells were drilled on their ranch during Big Springs' first big oil boom. She explains how it remained popular during the Depression and World War II as Big Spring became a travel hub with the Bankhead Highway running past the hotel's front door, the Texas and Pacific Railroad discharging passengers from several trains daily at their depot four blocks away, and American Airlines serving the local airport. At one point, American Airlines contracted for an entire floor of the hotel for their pilots and flight crews. During World War II, the Army Air Force operated a bombardier school at Big Spring, which later became Webb Air Force Base, and that contributed to the hotel's prosperity, too. But, Brannon says, things changed in the 1960s and 70s. The T&P terminated passenger service in 1967. Interstate 20 bypassed downtown Big Spring, and Webb Air Force Base was closed. The hotel settles changed hands numerous times, and Brandon says by the 1960s there were rumors of a prostitution ring operating out of the settles. The hotel had gained a reputation as a flophouse and a brothel. Now, please note that Dr. Brannon, being a careful scholar, does not say that the Settles was a brothel. She says it had a reputation as one. But my late friend Perry Cousin, who grew up in nearby La Mesa and made many teenage Saturday night trips to Big Spring in the 1960s, told me that he and his friends called the 15-story hotel the tallest cat house in Texas. Perry wrote some tall tales about talking coyotes and a fellow who took Mother Nature as a housemate, but he never told a lie. I'm pleased to report that in 2006, Brent Ryan, a Big Spring native who had made a fortune in Dallas as a tax accountant, bought the hotel settles for $75,000 and spent five years and $30 million restoring it to its original glory. My wife, Dee Dee, and I recently spent the night there in a room large enough to play tennis in and had a delicious dinner in the dining room to the accompaniment of a fine jazz pianist. If there is still a brothel in Big Spring, it is definitely not at the hotel settles. Sally, it's been fun talking about all this with you today.
And I want to I want to say thank you to all the people who helped me answer these questions. We'll be back next Friday at 11 with more answers to your questions. Mon answered questions from Linda Baronic of Marathon, Guadalupe Espinoza of Marfa, and Josh Knight of Midland on this episode of The Rambling Boy. Those questions came to us through West Texas Wonders, our new journalism initiative where you ask questions and Marfa Public Radio digs for answers. If you have a question about West Texas you'd like Lon or a reporter at Marfa Public Radio to look into, you can submit it at marfapublicradio.org slash curious.